who I don't know. My name's Chris, uh, one of the ministers here. Uh, let me just mention Kay is safely back from Uganda, uh, my colleague. And uh, yes, wonderful news and even more wonderful news. I'm hoping she'll be back in the office uh, tomorrow, uh, which will be really great. Uh, she had her birthday celebrations yesterday. So Pete and Pauline, uh, you're in really good company uh, with Kay. Uh, as you celebrate. Well, happy Christmas uh, to you all. Uh, it's good, isn't it, to be together celebrating uh, Christmas. The question I've got for us as we kick off this morning is, how early is too early? How early is uh, too early? How early is it to start singing carols? Uh, we began yesterday. Uh, what a great thing to be able to do. A whole line of us belting out tunes and blessing the neighbors uh, with our angelic voices. Uh, but see, what a great privilege, what a privilege that we have in this country to be able to sing out gospel hope and good news, which is what so many of the carols are absolutely full of. Uh, yesterday, I had a, a brilliant moment videoing you all, dodging the traffic, and uh, just had this real sense of what God was doing, actually, amongst us as we stood outside the site where we believe God is going to give us a new building in the not-too-distant future, just seeing, in a sense, um, it was quite moving for me, just seeing the worship move across the road, that we were outside that building. Um, we pray that will come to be uh, very soon. But we began singing yesterday, how early is it to be putting up your Christmas decorations? When is the right time to start decorating your home uh, for Christmas? Well, of course, Costa decided the 1st of November uh, was the day when it was okay to start playing Christmas carols in their stores. Uh, how do I know that? Because I happened to be there the day before, happened to be there on the 1st of November, which is when the tunes started playing. Supermarkets, I think August, September, uh, they, they put some Christmas stuff out to replace the barbecue stuff. And our own town council, Christchurch Town Council, decided the right time to switch on the lights was yesterday, so we followed their lead and put the lights outside of our building and we sang uh, carols. How many of you have actually put your Christmas decorations up at home already? Anybody? No? Oh, one or two. Okay, Roger and Gina, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> but actually, Roger and Gina, I think you're going to be encouraged by what I'm going to share because if you have put your Christmas decorations up already... Uh, then it proves something. If you haven't put your decorations up already, it proves something else. You see, if you haven't yet put your Christmas decorations up, it proves, firstly, that you're a grumpy individual. <laughs> Secondly, it proves that you're not a very sociable person. So I can guarantee you today, Roger and Gina are feeling happier than the rest of you, and they've got more friends than the rest of you. How do I know that? Well, I read an article this week that scientifically proves that putting up your Christmas decorations makes you happier. It's scientifically proved. But also it said that if you put up your Christmas decorations, your neighbors will get the impression that you're a friendlier, more sociable human being, even if that's not true. <laughs> so why don't you rush home today and put your decorations up? I actually put ours up outside our house yesterday uh, just because I wanted to get in with the season at the same time as the town council. Put up your decorations. It will make you happier and it will get you some friends. Well, today we begin our Christmas teaching series where we're going to be looking at these Christmas characters that make up the cast of the Christmas story. Now, I know arguably we're starting this series a week early because the first Sunday of Advent is not until next weekend. But 
you know, hey, maybe just like putting your decorations up earlier, uh, early, that will make us uh, more happy and more sociable than all the other miserable churches in Christchurch who won't start uh, till next weekend. But my serious hope for this series as it's ahead of us is that as we read this Christmas narrative, we'll discover that the Christmas story is a rich tapestry of eclectic characters. It's a story that is absolutely full of awe and it's full of wonder. It's full of the stories of remarkable responses from, at least on the surface of it, quite unremarkable characters. I think that's what we're going to see week in, week out. And today, as Mandy already shared earlier in the service, we're going to be kicking off our teaching series thinking about these two amazing characters, Elizabeth and Zachariah, or Lizzie and Zach uh, for short. Uh, don't worry, that's the last time I'll refer to them in that way. Some of, some of you hated that. Um, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 39. If you've got a, a Bible follow-on, if you haven't, you can always listen in. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Jumping to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wonderful, um, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. His father Zachariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So Elizabeth and Zachariah are an elderly couple, but their individual responses to the news of the angel Gabriel could not have been more contrasting one from another. Elizabeth just kind of gushes with faith-filled joy, and Zachariah becomes a man who's overwhelmed with doubt. Now, I wonder which of those characters you might find it easiest to relate with, doubt-filled Zachariah or faith-filled uh, Elizabeth. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at each of their responses in turn and ask God just to help us know what the application might be for us this morning. So let's begin with Zachariah. Now, we've already heard the end of Zachariah's story, but can I just remind you what happened to Zachariah before he started singing? Because his story, as we look at it today, is definitely a story of two halves. And in the first half of his story, Zechariah is a man who's doing what he did every day. He was serving as a priest in the temple, and the angel comes and appears to him. Luke tells us in verse 12, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. I bet he was. I would be too. 
The angel tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son who would be later known as John the Baptist. And then the angel makes all sorts of amazing promises about how John would be the one who would go ahead of Jesus and would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Now, Zachariah, as we encounter him at the beginning of Luke chapter 1, is curious, but he's mostly unbelieving. Zachariah responds, how can this possibly be? In other words, I don't believe you, angel. I think you're probably pulling my leg and having a joke. Now, if you know anything about angels, you know they tend to lack a sense of humor. (laughs) The angel is definitely being serious. And Zachariah responds, well, I am an old man, and my wife is getting well on in years, he said. My wife is well on in years. In other words, that's a polite way of saying my wife is something of an antique. In verse 20, the angel says to Zechariah that because of his unbelief, because of his doubt, from that moment onward, he was going to be struck mute. He wouldn't be able to speak until all of these things came true. And then began, began nine months or more of silence. Well, can you imagine? Elizabeth must have loved it. Never again would she struggle to get a word in edgeways. Never again would Zachariah talk over the top of the archers when it came on to to Radio 4. In verses 57 to 66, as I read them, we're told that when Elizabeth eventually gives birth to her baby, Zachariah grabs hold of a tablet, the old-fashioned type, because he couldn't speak, and he says, look, the baby is to be called John. Do exactly as my wife says, despite all of the cultural conditioning of the time that said you always name your child after its father or after its grandfather at least. John is what the angel said they should call their son. Verse 64 immediately says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began praising God. Now, if you read on from the verses where I stopped reading, the ones David began our service with this morning, from verse 67, you discover that uh, Zachariah sings out this prophetic word in the Spirit. Here's something for you to ponder over your lunch today. If you hadn't been able to speak for the best part of nearly a year because of an act of God, I wonder what the first thing would be that you said when you could speak. Chat about it over lunch today. You see, I have no doubt, as you share, that like Zachariah, what you'll say is, yeah, well, I would spew out a two-part masterpiece prophetic benedictus to God in praise of him. But I have a fear for me that actually I'm rather fearful I would enter into some kind of an angry rant about how unjust God had been in in taking away my voice just because I doubted the outlandish claims of an angel who just scared the living daylights out of me. You see, here's what I want us to see from Zachariah's story this morning. When we allow God to work in our lives by his spirit, then God can turn our doubt into his delight. He can transform our religious duty into a life-bringing relationship. Now, the song that Zachariah sings was no doubt being formed in his heart during those enforced months of, of muteness. But here's the thing. The silence wasn't wasted God was able to use that silence, and Zachariah clearly was able to use that Zachariah for contemplation. And I just wonder if there's a learning point for people like me here this morning, that just maybe if I could be quiet for long enough, if I could give God some quiet times, then maybe he would form something and shape something in my heart that was actually worth saying. 
You see, after nine months of silence, Zachariah's prophetic song just came gushing out, didn't it? His song is the song of a heart that's been set free. His song is a song that's caused by doubt that's been replaced by delight. His song is a song that comes because all of that religiosity that he might have journeyed with in life has suddenly been replaced with an intimate, life-giving relationship. And I really love Zachariah's song. I think it's brilliant. He, he uses loads of Old Testament ideas and phrases, and he's praising God essentially about two things. And the first and most important thing he praises God about is about the salvation that was to come through the Messiah, verses 68 to 75. And like Zachariah, I want to suggest to us today that this Christmas time, the salvation that God has given is worth speaking about, it's worth proclaiming. After months of silence, the first words he says are, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and he has redeemed them. Zechariah is speaking here about the greatest gift which has ever been given to the world, the gift of salvation, the gift of being rescued from our shortcomings and our failings in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ. It's worth singing about. It's worth speaking about. No wonder perhaps these were the first words to pour out of Zechariah's mouth. But then secondly, he sings too about the fact that his own son John was going to be the prophet who would go ahead of the Messiah and kind of prepare the way for him, verses 76 onwards. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zachariah's heart is absolutely full to overflowing, but would you notice what it's full of? Zachariah says, God has visited, God has redeemed, God has raised up, God has saved, God has shown mercy, God has delivered us. It's almost as if he's saying these things and singing out this song that he's kind of pointing to the heavens and he's shouting, look, would you see, would you see what God has done? God has done this, we didn't deserve it and yet God has done this for us, he's done this for the world. When Zachariah believed, his heart was filled now, I can imagine with Zachariah, and I can identify somewhat with Zachariah in this way, that sometimes during the course of his temple duties and his ministry, I guess he went through the religion and the ritual uh, like many people do in everyday life. He was just doing the thing that he did. I can well imagine that Zachariah had underestimated or hadn't even grasped the breadth and the depth of the love and the grace of the God that he'd come to serve. But now all of a sudden he fully gets it and he understands it. He understands that his boy John would be the one that would announce the arrival of the Redeemer. Wow, what a thing for your child to announce. But even better than that, God's chosen people were about to be liberated from all that held them. God's long-awaited promise was finally here. So in a moment, the religious knowledge that had filled his head drops those 12 inches and start to, to fill his heart. And you know, that's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you this Christmas time, that we might be liberated from the, the stifling rituals of Christmas, that we'll get beyond the joyless cynicism that so often defines this season, that we'll get beyond the, the daily grind of all the things, and hey, there's a lot of them that need to be done before we get to, to Christmas Day, that this season won't be... Um, punctuated with that sentence, uh, you know, the, the mentality of we'll get through this if we stick together. And instead, what about this season actually being a delight? Maybe even using our lips like Zachariah did to proclaim this amazing good news that we've come to discover. Now, of course, we know, don't we, that Christmas is all about the birth of the Savior, but it's so easy to, to get caught up into the cultural approach of this holiday season and, in a sense, to just switch off Jesus. 
It's so easy to get caught up in the drudgery and the commercialism of, of Christmas and start to miss the real meaning. Now, I saw this giant during the week and I thought, God, would you spare me from becoming a cynical misery this Christmas time? And Lord, instead, would you fill my heart with the amazing things that you have done in giving me a Savior? Would you take all of my doubt and my drudgery and my cynicism, would you turn it into your delight? Zachariah's song is hope-filled, and our primary need this Christmas time is to know that we can and we have received the salvation that Zachariah speaks of. It was the knowledge of that salvation that enabled Zachariah's heart to be able to sing for him to use that prophetic song. You see, if this Christmas time, if we don't think about the fact that God sent his son to be the savior of the world, then actually we've switched off Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, but our town council have blessed the roundabout down the road with a new sign, and they've crossed out Christ from Christmas. They've crossed out Christ from Christchurch, but we will not cross out Christ this Christmas time. He is very much staying in our celebrations. You see, if our head is full of the clutter of Christmas and our hearts are not full of Jesus this Christmas, then we're going to be missing out. Instead of being hope-filled, we're going to find ourselves hopeless. Zachariah, he's quite a chap, but too, he's married to quite a woman, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is elderly. Uh, one commentator said that meant she was over the age of 40. <laughs> uh, but it was more likely she was like Pauline. She was probably 70 or she was 80. Elizabeth hadn't had a child with Zachariah. And like Mary, Elizabeth was a woman who lived in a, a small town, perhaps of just a few hundred people. You can imagine everybody knew everybody else's business. Now, Elizabeth was old enough to be Mary's mother or even her grandmother, and they were separated by some considerable distance. Two miracle conceptions in two completely different ways, two pregnant women, two surprised and two surprising mothers. So Mary says, well, I've just got to go and see Elizabeth. I love her. We're relatives. She's pregnant. I'm pregnant. We need to share in one another's joy. And in fact, she's probably the only other person on planet Earth who understands the predicament that I'm in right now. And so she makes this trek so that they can be together. Listen again to verse 43. I think it's really good because it reveals the deep-rooted faith of Elizabeth. Elizabeth says to Mary, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. Now, in that culture, the, the older person, Elizabeth, would normally have been honored by the young person, Mary, and the older person would never honor the younger person. So we need to notice here in the story that what's going on here is highly unusual. Usual. Elizabeth says, you, Mary, are the mother of my Lord. She's honoring Mary here in this moment. You're the mother of my Lord. But notice too, and hang on to this because it will come up in a pub quiz, I guarantee it. The first person in the Bible to call the incarnate Jesus Christ Lord is who? It's Elizabeth. Really significant. She is the first one to call the incarnate Christ Lord. And she does it in such a personal way. You are the mother of my Lord. And she does it whilst Jesus is in Mary's womb, newly conceived. I want to suggest that's faith. That's faith, isn't it? It's not just a developing embryo that she's worshipping. It's the Lord. She's worshipping in this moment none other than the Savior of the world himself. 
So perhaps it's no wonder, recognizing what she does in this moment, that Elizabeth does that countercultural, topsy-turvy thing of honoring the younger relative who is the mother of the Savior of the world. Elizabeth says, I can't believe I'm in the presence of the mother of my Lord. She hasn't even seen Jesus living or breathing yet. She hasn't seen him walk on water. She hasn't seen him raise the dead. She hasn't seen him heal anyone, die on a cross or be resurrected. But she's already worshipping him as my Lord and claiming him as her God, her Lord, her Savior. Don't you just love that? Elizabeth finds herself in the presence of Jesus and she responds by worshipping. And that's the only right and proper thing to do when we're in the presence of Jesus is to worship. Now, of course, living as we do this side of the cross and this side of Pentecost, by some amazing mystery, God has come to live and dwell within the hearts of each one of us. His spirit resides within us, and therefore we are 24-7 in the presence of Jesus. And our response should be the same as Elizabeth, to worship, 24-7 worship, a lifestyle of worship, a lifetime of honoring Jesus. The response of Elizabeth as she is filled with the Spirit of God is joy-filled faith. Her response is one of faith-filled worship. But I want us to notice too here the response of John. I want to suggest like mother, like son. Luke tells us verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, that's John, leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So John is within the womb here. He's in the womb of Elizabeth, and he's jumping, he's leaping, he's cartwheeling, he's somersaulting, he's bounding around, he's springing about, and he's skipping. Is that stretching it too far? It probably is. But it's worth noting, isn't it, the instant that John, although he's unborn at this point, since he too is in the presence of Jesus the Messiah, he begins to leap for joy. If it's not pushing it too far, just maybe he was offering worship in the presence of Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, John becomes an in utero worship leader. He's singing, dancing, celebrating in the womb. You see the proper response, the proper response to Jesus. He is my Lord, and therefore I will worship him in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's one possible response to the presence of Jesus, and it's joy. Now, this excited movement in Elizabeth's womb is first mentioned in verse 41, but it was clearly significant to her because she mentions it again in in verse 44. She says, as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting reaching my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who's believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. I've got a second prayer for me, maybe for you this Christmas time too, and it's this, is that we would have a faith like Elizabeth. A faith even like John, if it's not pushing it too far. That we would know the presence of Jesus and that we would know his joy. That we would know that Jesus is not just a Lord, but he's my Lord. And therefore, he's worthy of our praise and our adoration and our worship. I wonder for you, which of these two characters you're most easily able to relate to. I wonder this morning whether you're somebody who is trusting like Elizabeth. Today, your natural response to this good news that the Messiah is coming, that he is to be born, your natural response to this Christmas time is is one of joy-filled excitement, one of faith-filled enthusiasm. Maybe today you're an Elizabeth. 
But maybe today you enter into this Christmas season actually able to relate more to Zachariah. That maybe you enter into this season with doubt. Maybe there is a certain amount of drudgery going on in your life, even as you head into Christmas. Maybe you relate to this season like part one, Zachariah. You know, my guess is today most of us probably will find it easier to relate to Zachariah than to Elizabeth. But I want to suggest to us this morning that both responses are actually okay. Both responses are okay. Whether this morning we find ourselves Elizabeth bouncing around like a tigger, all excited about what the Lord has done, or whether we find ourselves this morning part one Zachariah doubting, both responses are okay. Why do I think that? Because I don't think Zachariah being struck mute was a punishment for his doubts. I think actually this was an act of God's grace, just gifting Zachariah with the opportunity to spend some time in quiet reflection so that his doubt could be turned into delight. So even if this morning we begin our day, uh, our journey into this season as a part one Zachariah, full of doubt and drudgery, would you know this morning that God can actually transform that, transform that doubt into his delight and you too can become a part two Zachariah? The amazing invitation for us this Christmas season is to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. The challenge for us this Christmas season, even if we're beginning a week early, is not to switch on Jesus, but to leave him switched on. For us to rejoice in the amazing gift that he is, for the fact he's come to save us and rescue us. Let's rejoice in the fact that we have good news. And even if we don't have further opportunities to speak that into a microphone on bar grates in the week ahead, let's do that in our journeys and our relationships. Let's remind ourselves we have a great saviour and let's remind our friends and our family that they too can experience that same truth. Can we be still uh, for a moment? I just want to give a moment for us to respond. Maybe as we're still, you just in the quietness of your own heart, just want to let God know how you're feeling today. And you can be honest, because he already knows. Maybe this morning you're an Elizabeth, maybe this morning you're a part one Zachariah. Lord, we thank you that we're reminded afresh from this amazing story that you're a God who has done a great thing. We're reminded this morning that you're a God who's given us in Jesus the most amazing Savior, that you've rescued us, that you've brought us freedom from all those things that otherwise would trap us. Lord, as that knowledge drops from our heads and into our hearts, as we remind ourselves over and over again this coming season that's ahead of us, that you're a rescuing God. Lord, I want to pray for each of us that we would experience the joy of Elizabeth, that we would experience the joy of part two Zachariah. 
that our hearts would sing, that our lips might even proclaim the good thing that you have done. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you in this season that's ahead. We pray it will be full of joy and not drudgery. We pray it will be full of delight and not doubt. Savior of the world, we invite you afresh to reveal yourselves to us afresh. As we worship you, as we adore you, as we proclaim you to be Lord and King. In Jesus' name, amen. Our last song as we sing uh, is bringing together that uh, expectation uh, as we look forward to Christmas and that long, long story of the journey uh, that God had put in place to get to to the point where Jesus became flesh. And it's a celebration that's come their long-expected Jesus. And uh, watch out for the words in the, in the bridge in the middle. Um, they've been added in in a modern arrangement, um, but they are words of truth and words of power. Well, let's stand as you're able and we'll sing. Mm-hmm.